0: Support for Today Explained comes from Vanta. Vanta knows that when it comes to ensuring that your company has top-notch security, things can get very complicated. Now you can assess risk, secure the trust of your customers, and automate compliance with a single platform. And that platform is... Vanta. Vanta can help you continuously monitor compliance alongside reporting and tracking risk, plus quickly complete security questionnaires with Vanta AI. According to Vanta, thousands of global companies use Vanta to automate evidence collection, unify risk management, and streamline security reviews. You can learn more by watching Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com slash explained. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash explained.
1: Today, Explained, I'm Sean Ramos for We have covered a lot of refugee crises on the show. Ones here on the southern border of the United States, Syria, the Rohingya. We recently talked about the Afghans a lot, but we've never covered one like the refugee crisis taking place right now on the border between Belarus and Poland. Because get this, this refugee crisis on the border of Belarus and Poland was completely engineered by Belarus. Before we get to that, we first have to talk about the situation at the border. Sara Sinkurova's a freelance journalist who's been reporting on it.
2: The Polish-Belarusian border is uh, one of the EU's external borders to the east. It's a very um, cold part of the world, so right now as the winter is approaching, the temperatures fall below zero. And we are talking about a very uh, long border, several hundred kilometers long, and we are mostly talking about woods and fields.
1: And right now we're talking about a war zone.
2: The zone is essentially militarized. It's it's protected so no one is allowed in, uh, not even humanitarian workers or aid workers or journalists.
1: The if you don't follow the burpers, may be used against you.
2: The security forces are essentially guarding the border. And there is a paramedic team that also works at the border that rescues refugees out of the woods because most of these refugees and migrants suffer from hypothermia right now and also from other conditions that are related to the cold and and the thirst and the lack of basic supplies. But I would say for the most part, hypothermia is, is the biggest problem and it's really a humanitarian crisis.
1: So so how did this wooded, frozen, almost uninhabitable area between Belarus and Poland essentially become a migrant camp?
2: Essentially what happened is that thousands of refugees and migrants and asylum seekers um, flew into Belarus, arrived in Minsk, and then traveled to the border because they have heard that... The route to Europe would become available through Belarus, through the Polish Belarusian border. And for some of them, of course, they wanted to continue to other countries or simply ask for asylum in Poland. And so thousands of refugees and migrants and asylum seekers from countries like Syria and Iraq and, and even Libya um, had flown into Belarus and ended up stranded at this border.
1: 10 days we've been here without water, temperatures are minus five, and what can we do? Where are the human rights organizations? We were a good country. They invaded Iraq in 2003. We've lost everything. We've sold our cars and sold our houses. They've destroyed our country, and now this is their human rights? How do these largely Iraqi, Syrian, and Yemeni migrants get to Belarus in the first place?
2: What I have heard from the migrants and refugees is that they have seen these, I don't know what to call them, but let's say fake adverts from quote-unquote travel agencies in their respective countries, telling them that the route to Europe would become possible, that it's possible to go to Belarus, most of the time on tourist visa without any problems, and that they could just buy a visa and then a plane ticket to Minsk, and then it would be possible for them to, to access Europe from there.
1: Belarus gave us visa. We came here to go to Europe.
0: How much did you have to pay for the whole package to come?
1: Uh, $2,000. So once migrants pay thousands of dollars to travel to Belarus, according to to reports we're seeing, what happens to them?
2: So... Based on my information and on the interviews that I've conducted, uh, most of the time, these migrants and refugees would take a car or a taxi. Sometimes, you know, they would get tricked into paying, you know, huge sums of money for the taxi um, to transport them from Minsk to the border, which is approximately, I think, 200 miles away, something like that. Essentially, what is happening is that once the refugees and migrants arrive at the border, it is very hard for them to, to get either into Poland or even to get back because they are behind a fence. And there, there has been reports and, you know, this is something that I've seen um, when I was reporting from Poland is that we know that there are pushbacks by, on, on both sides by both Polish and Belarusian authorities. In the night they told us uh, you will go to Poland. They cut uh, the fence. The Belarusian cut for us and we ran. We run a lot and then we hide ourselves in the forest. They see us and return back to the site. It is like a football game. We are in the middle. So they are being pushed back by both sides. And as I was saying earlier, there is this emergency zone. So no one, no aid groups or aid professionals or doctors or journalists are allowed in closer to the border. So these, these refugees and migrants are essentially stranded there. And no one really knows how many people are there exactly. The media report that it could be around 3000, 4000 refugees and migrants, including families, including, you know, babies and breastfeeding mothers who are stranded at the border with no real possibility to, to kind of move forward either way. And with the freezing temperatures, this has become a really, really worrying trend.
3: Attention, attention.
2: All us
1: baby crying for the milk, for a nappy. We don't have a nothing. Please come and help these people.
2: These migrants and refugees are kind of You know, camping out or they are sleeping in, you know, sleeping bags, but sometimes they don't even have that. I know that on the Polish side, volunteers have been distributing them, you know, blankets and and hot tea and even like some, you know, electric heaters that they could use because of the cold uh but this is really you know only the the few people who have managed to cross the border but most of these people don't have anything they don't have a shelter and that's why it's so worrying and you know particularly for small children uh who can be very vulnerable to hypothermia and i recently interviewed a doctor who uh he was he was helping on the border from the polish side and she described this case where a child was suffering from hypothermia and, and the mom or the dad, the parents basically had to lie on the child to kind of protect the child from the cold. So they were essentially protecting the child with their own body. So, so this is, you know, the kind of situation. This, this is how people have to improvise to survive there.
1: So these migrants have been pushed back and forth across the border and now they're stuck. W- what happens next?
2: They are facing death because, because we don't know if they are going to be allowed in and, you know, the temperatures fall below zero. And for someone who's been there for a long time, obviously, they are in in a very bad health condition. So I don't know if there's any options. Of course, people who, who have already managed to cross into Poland can ask for asylum, provided that they are not pushed back, because people managed to cross to the Polish side. Um, oftentimes, they were rescued out of the woods by you know, medical teams or paramedic teams, and then they were taken to the hospital. And then local sources and lawyers told me that we know that there are pushbacks in a, in a way that the Polish border guards wait in front of the hospital, so, so that, that once the patient is released from hospital, they take him and they, you know, they push him back. Back towards the border. So even when people try and ask for asylum, they can still be pushed back, um, kind of, you know illegally or, or like you know in, in non-accordance to to human humanitarian law and human rights conventions we know that these people for the most part are just stranded there and we don't know what's going to happen to them next and that's why it's so important to talk about this and you know and to use humanizing language and to talk about these human stories above all else I would say. So this man fled Syria due to due to the war he was from Aleppo he tried to approach Europe through the Mediterranean through Libya and then he heard that uh, the route to Europe would become possible through Belarus he bought a plane ticket and a visa and of course he had no idea that he would end up essentially freezing in the woods and he's been telling me that he's been there for more than a month now and that he is essentially dying he's with a group of other migrants and one of his friends is there with his four children and he described that one of the worst things for him was to watch these children die in front of his eyes because they are all freezing there without water and food and they are all injured um, and sick at this point, stranded in the woods.
1: Believe it or not, this entire crisis was engineered by Belarus. More on that in a minute on Today Explained. Fox Creative. This is Advertiser Content from NetSuite.
3: I've never worked in media before, and it's really fun to see deals come through, especially when we signed with MKBHD and the Waveform Podcast. That was one of my favorite shows on YouTube, and I've loved that we've partnered with him. I'm Christina Ho Rodriguez, and I am a senior manager of revenue accounting at Vox Media. At Vox, I'm not so siloed in my own revenue accounting department. I'm getting to see the big picture of of what the company is working on. In my first year, the company went through a really big merger with another media company, and we switched from our old ERP system to NetSuite. We had to integrate NetSuite really fast. It was very user-friendly right out of the box. Over the last couple months, our team developed a new revenue reporting module that makes our reporting much faster, much more automated. I have a lot of hope with what we can do in the future with NetSuite so that we're able to optimize, make our team a lot more successful and improve our processes. We're only as good as our best data and NetSuite allows us to see it all.
1: Discover the power of NetSuite, a leading cloud financial system serving more than 37,000 businesses. Download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance, absolutely free at netsuite.com/explained. That's netsuite.com/explained to get your own KPI checklist. Support for Today Explained comes from Shopify. How well do you know the ins and outs of starting a business? Admittedly, I don't know very much. To actually do it apparently, you might not need as much savvy as you think because there are e-commerce tools to help make getting started easy for anyone. Tools like, you guessed it folks, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business the beginning stages the middle stages the final stages according to the company they support online and in-person selling and their award-winning support team will help you along the way they even have an ai tool called shopify magic, which might help make things even easier. Who doesn't like magic? You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash explained all lowercase. Don't you dare use uppercase. Go to shopify.com slash explained now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash explained. Enjoy. Amy McKinnon, foreign policy. It's hard to believe, but Belarus is engineering this migrant crisis?
0: In a word, yes. Beginning this summer, we began to see just all of a sudden dozens of people, hundreds of people coming from the Middle East, predominantly from Iraq, from Syria, from Yemen. Coming to the Belarusian border uh, and trying to make their way into Latvia and Lithuania and into Poland. Now, we've heard reports of uh, all of a sudden an unusual proliferation of, of Belarusian tourist agencies in the Middle East issuing visas to individuals and sometimes group visas. People in these countries are paying their life savings; they are gathering money from friends and family, you know, thousands of dollars for flights. to to Minsk, uh, the Belarusian capital, for visas um, in the hopes of making it to the border and and making it into the European Union.
1: So why is Belarus doing this? Why is President Alexander Lukashenko doing this?
0: He's lashing out. If we remember uh, August of of 2020, there was presidential elections in Belarus which are widely believed to have been falsified. And in in response, the Belarusian people took to the streets in the tens and hundreds of thousands. We
3: are here to show that we now
0: him,
2: and that we want the change, that we want the new country
0: with a new president. And the Belarusian authorities cracked down very brutally, very violently. There's over 800 political prisoners now in Belarus. Um, and in response, the European Union imposed sanctions on the regime, as did the United States. One of the weaknesses of the European Union, which is that the EU more broadly, not just these countries on the border, does not have an idea of how to handle yet or respond to, to migration from people coming from war zones and, and conflict-torn countries. And so he has been able to exploit one of the bloc's biggest weaknesses.
1: And how does Poland feel about this?
0: they're responding pretty brutally. They've deployed 15,000 troops and border guards to the border with Belarus, and they're trying best they can to keep these people in Belarus. And of course, that's received criticism from humanitarian organizations, because we don't know these people, many of them may well have claims to asylum, which they have the right to to ask for um, when they make it across the border. And so far, the Polish authorities are really trying to handle this by themselves. They haven't tried to ask for help from from the European Union's border agency Frontex, whereas Lithuania did. But of course, like any good politician. Uh, They're also not letting a good crisis go to waste. They've used this issue domestically to try and push the message of the the ruling Law and Justice Party, which is a very nationalist, very conservative party, which has really made immigration a hot button issue. The chair of the party, Jaroslav Kaczynski, has previously said some very controversial things about migrants and asylum seekers. And so they've capitalized on this as well for their own domestic political gain.
1: And Poland probably isn't the final destination for a lot of these migrants. How is the EU responding to what's happening on this border?
0: So, so far on the surface, the EU has really stood by Poland and the Baltic states on this. They're trying to project an image of unity because Europe has a shared problem in responding not just to this crisis, but the kind of broader issue of having an increasingly rogue dictator backed by Russia on your doorstep. So they've tried to project an image of unity. Uh, Charles Michel, the president of the European Council, um, visited the Polish capital last week um, and he said Poland is facing a serious crisis which should enjoy the solidarity and the unity of the European Union. Because we need to be
3: firm, what's happening is serious and we need to react Firmly, we need to be united. He's My even
0: previously point. spoken about uh, about helping about Poland fund uh, some kind of structure uh, at the border, be that a wall or a fence. Uh,
3: based on an opinion of the legal service of the council, it's legally possible, based on the current legal framework at the European level, to finance uh, infrastructure.
0: So, on the surface, there's you know there are calls for unity, but of course, I think you know you're also beginning to see some tensions around the the very robust, shall we say, nature with which. Poland is trying to kind of rebuff these people. And this comes at a time of of broader tensions between Poland and the European Union. Recent domestic decisions made by the Polish authorities, which have been seen as a um, deeply troubling to the European Union um, and as a snub to the bloc.
1: We're talking about like Poland passing laws that violate the EU
0: constitution? So one of the top courts in Poland recently passed a law which essentially says the Polish law has supremacy over European Union law. And so that really attacks one of the foundational tenets of the European Union, which is that to have the bloc function as a bloc of countries, you have to have some shared laws, um, and that those laws will apply across the bloc. And so people have have increasingly become concerned about a so-called poll exit, that Poland will follow the UK um, and make steps to, towards leaving the European Union. And they've been fined, I think it's something like a million euros per day following this decision. So the European Union has taken it very, very seriously indeed. So that all that kind of wider context is bubbling in the background to, to this current crisis over the border.
1: Okay, so needless to say, things are complicated between Poland and Belarus, and they're also complicated between Poland and the EU. And the EU is sort of supporting what Poland's doing right now on the border, but also not. How how does the EU feel about people dying, about about Poland taking, you know, pretty harsh, heavy-handed measures against these migrants?
0: I think that's something which the EU is grappling with right now, is how can they address this broader crisis. And unlike in 2015, where people were making their way over overseas and over land themselves to the European Union, you know, this time there's a very natural bottleneck and the people are flying into Belarus. And so that provides an opportunity. We know that Brussels is in dialogue with a lot of the countries where these people are originating from. If you can kind of stem those lines of how people are making their way into Belarus, that could be a way to, to stem the crisis. So that is, that is something that they're looking into just now. Um, and over the weekends, there were some airlines from the region have said that they're going to stop taking uh, people from Syria, Iraq, and I think Yemen as well, that are flying into Belarus as as a way to kind of address the the root causes of this problem. But, I mean, in the meantime, there is a dire humanitarian crisis um, going on at the border of Poland. I mean, there's, I think, a few thousand people estimated to be trapped there right now. Some of them are making it through the fence. There's been some reports of of local people from these these villages kind of setting up these ad hoc groups to to try and provide warm clothes, food, shelter, um, you know, batteries for cell phones that people are using to navigate um, as as and when they, they find people. But we do know that already, I think, I think eight people are known to have died um, at the border, but humanitarian agencies say it's likely to be much higher than that. And as the winter gets increasingly colder, unfortunately, I I fear they won't be the last.
1: What levers can the EU pull to prevent Belarus from continuing to bring in migrants who are, you know, left out to freeze on the border?
0: We'll see what impact it has of these airlines saying that they're going to stop flying in people. Not they're going to stop flying in people, but they're going to stop taking people from certain countries with visas to Belarus that are are presumed to be you know, trafficked essentially by the Belarusian authorities to the border. That may go some way. And of course, the the EU, I think this week, is expected to announce further sanctions on the Belarusian authorities. And there's more in their toolkit that they can do there. I, I think there's there's talk of issuing sanctions against Belavia, the um, Belarusian national airline, also Minsk airport. So they, they have a few more things that they can do. But whether or not that's going to make the Belarusian authorities change their mind, I, you know... They've weathered sanctions before. They you know, they can likely weather them again, but there is certainly more options that the EU has at its disposal here.
1: But Belarus is the one provoking here. I mean, I'm sure sanctions were an expected outcome for them. How much could this continue to escalate? Could this end up being a military conflict between the EU and Belarus, or, or at least Belarus and Poland? Is it already that?
0: I think that depends on what happens at the border itself, and whether cool heads are able to prevail. You know, we've already seen images of Belarusian border guards using lasers and strobe lights to try and distract the Polish border guards on the other side. We've heard certainly uh, reports of blanks being fired in you know, it's an extremely tense situation. I should add that this crisis at the border between Belarus and Poland is, of course, happening whilst there is a, uh, a Russian military buildup going on by the borders of Ukraine as well. And so these two things are often being discussed in conjunction as well. And um, a lot of questions about well, what is the Russian role behind the, the Belarus situation, because Belarus is is now pretty much wholly dependent on on the Russian President Vladimir Putin and I think a lot of people are working on the assumption that he wouldn't have tried to to start a crisis like this without having at least some kind of wink and a nod assent from the Kremlin
1: hmm and what's his game plan here
0: whose game plan sorry Putin Crisis in the European Union, crisis in the West. You know, Russian state TV. It's interesting when you watch it has for years been obsessed with migration in Europe, because I think they they recognize that this is an issue which we have not yet, and this will be a familiar uh, to many Americans. It's just it's a challenge which we haven't yet found a way to address, which is humane and is humanitarian, but also recognizes the need for countries to. Um, have control over their borders. And so it's wherever we have those weaknesses in our societies, the Russians um, and their allies are extremely deft at exploiting them.
1: Is there a chance that this could backfire on Belarus and all of these migrants that Belarus certainly never wanted in its own country might just end up staying there?
0: They can just deport them. Uh, it's Belarus, you know, they're not going to give them due process if they try and apply for asylum. I think it's highly unlikely they're, they're going to give them a the fair hearing. It's an authoritarian state ruled by a dictator. They can just send them back to, to where they came from. These the people that are at the border right now, and there's children among them, are caught between crisis upon crisis upon crisis. You know, they their countries have been torn apart by war. This opportunity comes along to make it so tantalizingly close to the European Union, and once they get to that border, they find themselves caught in this horrific standoff between a dictator and an alliance of democracies, which has been caught flat-footed by this and being treated very brutally amidst that. So it's horrendous human tragedy at the center of this broader geopolitical spat.
1: Amy McKinnon is a national security reporter at Foreign Policy. Our episode today was produced by Halima Shah with help from Amna al-Sadi. It's Today Explained.